This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, it's another double tap for Monday, the 7th of November 2022. It's Stephen with you today. And coming up, we're going to be talking to a number of guests on the subject of Twitter and the big news that the entire accessibility team have been fired. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. Hey guys, welcome along. It is just myself today. Sean is still unwell, unfortunately, but he will hopefully be back tomorrow. I can't wait to hear his thoughts on all the news of uh, the weekend, honestly. You know, I want to pull back the curtain a bit for you here on Double Tap because, you know, Mark and I get together usually on a Thursday or a Friday to record our weekend edition that goes out on the Saturday. Uh, So you might have listened to that show thinking, why haven't they mentioned this news on Saturday's show? Because this big news happened. And um, yeah, well, we we recorded the show on the Thursday, it went out on the Saturday, and that was that. So we didn't get to that story, unfortunately. But you know what? I don't think any of us could have expected the news to be quite so grim from Twitter on Friday as it was. I mean, there were lots of rumours about Elon Musk going in there to make changes. And certainly staff reductions were part of that. But the idea that he would sack almost half the company's staff is just unbelievable. And that's what happened on Friday. And then, perhaps more shockingly than that, if that's possible, we learned in the disabled disabled community that the entire accessibility team, the entire team devoted to making that app accessible, that platform accessible to us as blind and disabled people, They were all let go. Every single one of them. No one left. And that was surprising. That was shocking. So today, we're going to break this down and try and understand what's going on and find out what people's views are on whether or not Twitter's worth saving, whether it's worth hanging around for. Still, is it it worth posting? Is it worth being part of it? We're going to get the views today of two disabled people. We're going to hear from Teresa and Poppy a bit later. They're going to join me to talk about their experience on Twitter, what it means to them to be on Twitter, how important it is for them to have the the support of the disability community there, which a lot of people have found really beneficial. You know, they've found a home, they've found a tribe, they've found a group that they can identify with. And, you know, is that something that is going to be there? Is that something you want to continue supporting? So I want to get their views. We're going to hear from Teresa and Poppy today uh, on the show. I'm also keen to hear your views. I want to hear what you think. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. You can call our listener line, one 803 4567 Let us know what you think. But we start with uh, journalist and broadcaster uh, for the Texas Standard, also the host of the Parallel Podcast on Relay FM. She's also a regular contributor to the Accessibility Roundtable podcast and author of the iOS Access for All book. The brand new version for iOS 16 is due anytime now. Shelley Brisbane is with me here. Um, Shelley, the news is shocking and significant. Yeah, it is. Well, first of all, the entire team was let go, all the engineers, and that's significant because certainly there are downsizings all, t- all the time. But that entire team, along with a lot of other entire teams, were let go. And it's it's worth pointing out that Twitter has actually done a lot of very noticeable things with accessibility fairly recently, including putting the uh, reminder to do alt text for images front and center, so it's kind of hard to miss. Uh, and there are just a number of other things that they've they've done. So they've actually been out there in the trenches trying to make the platform better for accessibility users. So, I mean, yeah, just to be absolutely clear on this, then, for people who are, you know, hearing this story for the first time, we have lots of listeners to our show who are fully sighted people who will be reading the mainstream news, talking about the the layoffs at Twitter and saying, well, you know what, maybe he just needed to go in there, maybe he just needed to trim the fat a little bit. So, you know, that's just you roll with the punches, right? That that is is that not the case then here? Well, if you're going to take an entire team who has a specific responsibility to make sure that the platform is accessible and continues to be accessible, it's going to be hard not only to replace that institutional knowledge, if that's your desire as the leader, but it's also just going to be hard to 
continue whatever projects were ongoing. And that's what's unfortunate about it. I mean, as I say, there, there are always corporate downsizings when companies have financial difficulties and, and a lot of companies roll with those punches and they do things like hire contractors. But I guess I wonder how Twitter is going to be able to progress with whatever accessibility projects they had or continue to advance accessibility if they don't have a team there whose job it is to do that. And and the impression is left by entire teams being laid off, including teams like transparency and human rights and ethics and accessibility, that those are not functions that are valued in, at least in the way that they had been valued previously. Is it possible that Elon Musk will find a way to put those functions back together? He might be cleaning house, presumably so, but you're going to have a vacuum of time and probably a vacuum of experience and, and knowledge about what that what was ongoing at the platform in those areas. Now, you, like all of us, we learned this news, you know, late into Friday into the weekend. And um, I was shocked. I was absolutely stunned. I mean, I, in a way, it wasn't... <sighs> And maybe I wasn't as surprised as I maybe should have been. I think the way he was treating the company and is treating the company kind of tells me that, you know, he was prepared to make big changes. But to hear the entire team, uh, you know, the entire accessibility team, just lock, stock and barrel was gone. And then we were reading the accounts on Twitter over the weekend of staff who were just stunned, I guess, stunned into silence. What, what was your initial take on that? Yeah, I was startled because initially there were rumors, Musk, I think, said, or it was claimed to have said that he was going to lay off 75% of the staff, which is something like the, the Twitter workforce is something like 7,000 employees. So he said he was going to take 75% off. It turned out to be half uh, of the employees rather than 75%, so 50%. And so uh, even in that case, as as drastic as that obviously sounds, you assume that what's going to happen is they're going to say, well, okay, all of the functions that we continue to need to do, we're going to have a skeleton crew do them, and then we're going to lay everybody else off. And so when you say an entire team is gone, that says, as I, as I was saying before, that you just you don't value that function, or you think that function is something that can be put on hold for a while while you reconnoiter and figure everything else out. And there are all sorts of ways they could come back from that, or they could simply say, we're just not going to do anything with accessibility for a while. Now, I've read Bloomberg reporting that uh, Twitter has now asked some fired workers to come back. This has been confirmed. Um, and Twitter, apparently, after laying off um, you know almost half the company, is now reaching out to dozens of employees who've lost their jobs and asking them to come back. Now, some of those who are being asked to return, this is according to Bloomberg, were laid off by mistake according to two people familiar with the moves, according to Bloomberg here. Uh, others were let go before management realised that their work and experience may be necessary to build the new features that Musk envisions. Um, the people, however, did ask not to be identified as uh, discussing private information. So it's confirmed that he has gone back to people to say, mm -hmm. listen, you might want to come back. What's your take on that? <laughs> I mean, it just, it sounds like, it was a dumpster fire. I was reading all of these articles about how people were literally fired in the middle of meetings in the sense that they were having a meeting and then they lost access to some company resource. Oh, well, you're fired because they hadn't. And then there was this whole thing of, well, if you get an email from your corporate account, you still have a job. If you get an email to your personal account, you don't. Have, I mean, it was just it was a mess. And it's unsurprising that they made a lot of mistakes and it's also unsurprising because I, I've seen this with other companies that often there'll be a giant layoff and then they'll find a way to bring a few people, keep people back, whether that is directly, oh, here's the job that you had before you can have it and maybe we'll give you a bonus or you bring them back as a contractor so you effectively have to pay them less. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do it. But it feels like anytime you have, I mean, remember half of the company was laid off. There have to have been some mistakes. It's, it's, it's a you know blunt force instrument that they've used. And uh, I would imagine as well that the way that you would want to lay off people is that you consult with all the management and you say, who are the key people that you need to fulfill your functions and who are the people that maybe are less capable? But I feel like that probably didn't happen. I feel like the decisions were probably made at such a high level. If entire teams are let go, you're not thinking about what that individual worker is bringing to the company. You're thinking about cutting costs in a really drastic way. 
Well, let's just hope that uh, some of, if not all, the accessibility team are included in that. And uh, whether they want to go back or not is another question. Right. That's that's the question. Do they mm. want to go back? Does it make sense for them to go back? I hope they have the option, and I hope that the Twitter is dealing with accessibility going forward. And And the one other thing I'll say about that is I feel like some of the praise that I would want to give Twitter for their accessibility efforts in one way might sort of mitigate against bringing the accessibility team back because it's like, Hey, well, we've, we've done it. Our, our platform is pretty accessible. Do we need accessibility? Obviously that's not right. Accessibility needs to be an ongoing thing. And as Twitter changes and grows, uh, in whatever way it's changing and growing, there needs to be accessibility, uh, figured into that process. But I think for some people, the sort of positive aspects of what Twitter has done with accessibility might lead to the conclusion that we don't need that team anymore. And that's clearly not the case. What's your beat on, and I know you've been probably looking at this all weekend, but what's your your beat on the community's view on this? I mean, I I think it's, I think we can pretty sum up pretty well, right? I don't think there's many people out there defending sacking the accessibility team in the disability community. I think that would be a very, very small number of people. But people are upset, aren't they? They are. And I I think there's two things. First of all, there's the sort of insult to the goal of increasing accessibility that firing that whole team says. And then the accessibility community has been very active on Twitter. In fact, it's kind of how I got introduced to the accessibility community. So I have a very warm spot for what a 11Y as a hashtag has meant to people. And I I see a lot of people thinking about where they're going to go next and how they're going to communicate with one another. And uh, there are Twitter alternatives out there. Mastodon, which has been around for a while, is sort of having a a moment this weekend. And a lot of people are trying to figure out if that's a place that they want to be. And I've I've seen some accessibility-related things happening over there. Also, it's fair to say I've seen a lot of stuff still happening on Twitter because Twitter is the incumbent, and a lot of people who are still trying to communicate with one another, I think there are some people that are leaving, and there's some people like me that are sort of trying to keep one foot in Twitter and one foot out of Twitter because it's so central to the way they communicate, whether it's for their business interests uh, or whether it's to communicate with others who are interested in, in something as specific as accessibility, because what Twitter really has excelled in and sort of Twitter gets a bad rap for all the sort of negativity that can be in it. And there's lots of that. But one of the things it's always excelled at is bringing groups of people together who have very specific niche sorts of sets of interests and helping them find each other. And that's absolutely been true of accessibility Twitter. And I I feel like that's going to be a huge loss for a lot of people. And people are looking for alternative places to go. And Mastodon at the moment is one of those places, but it's far, far too early to know how that's going to turn out for folks. Yeah. So could you maybe explain to us a bit more about Mastodon? I mean, we're going to talk more about it in the show in the next couple of days, because I think a lot of people are keen to know, but I know you've been doing a bit of digging on it over the weekend. What's, what's your take on Mastodon as an alternative to Twitter? Is it an alternative to Twitter? Functionally, it is because like Twitter, you post and your posts can be seen and replied to and liked and they call it boosted over there, which is equivalent to retweeting. And the way it works is that you join a Mastodon server. So you don't just go and log in and get a Mastodon account. You get on a server. There are many, many servers to choose from. Some of them have wait lists now because it's become so popular. But you find a server, you get yourself an account on that server, which gives you access theoretically to the people that are just on that server, but it's what's called a federated system. So all the servers are connected to one another. And so as long as your server is connected to the rest of the Mastodon universe, you can follow people and you can be followed. It uses hashtags in the same way Twitter does. For, for a lot of people, most of how they experience Mastodon, once they get established there will be very familiar. And I think a lot of the sort of norms of how Twitter operated and how p- people communicate will be familiar. I will also say that I've tried a couple of Mastodon clients and they're very accessible and that's very cool. I, I, and another thing I've noticed as I've dug around there is there, there are people and not people I know from the accessibility community, but just people who are trying to help new Mastodon uh, subscribers. Uh, there are a lot of people passing along uh, posts about how to make sure that your posts are accessible. They're reminding people to put descriptions with their images because there's no way of, there's no default method of putting alt text in. They're telling people to uh, 
capitalize the first letters of each word in a hashtag so that screen readers can accept them. And so I've been boosting those and sending them along just, but I've been excited that those haven't really, as I say, come specifically from people in the accessibility community. They're just people who are good uh, Mastodon citizens. And so I, I feel like it's absolutely in the honeymoon stage. There's no way in the world that Mastodon is going to replace Twitter, especially over a weekend. I mean, if you think about how long <laughs> yeah. many of us, I was going to say most of us, have been on Twitter. I've been on Twitter since 2007, Stephen. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, me I don't too. think whatever presence I have with Mastodon is going to replace my 3,100 Twitter followers, which is a fairly <laughs> small footprint. Uh, Mastodon, I think I have like 30. So <laughs> please feel free to follow me, Shelly Brisbane and Mastodon, <laughs> and Mastodon Social. Uh, anyway, I'll give you that proper address later. Uh but it's it's an enjoyable environment because it's it's community building. I mean, and I honestly like the sort of hearts and flowers part of it for me is that people are doing that community building thing where everybody's sort of getting to know the space. It's like you've come to a party and everybody is equally wrong footed because they don't really know anybody. Oh, there's a familiar face. Hi. And I'll tell you, this is, this is just a little aside. Uh, I am a, I have a podcast about classic movie and movies, and there is a classic film Twitter. And uh, there are lots of people from that community that are very well known and far more famous than I. Uh, and I started following them on Mastodon and they all followed me back because that's what Mastodon is right now. It's everybody just just wanting to take in as much as they possibly can. And so there's something about that, whether it ends up replacing Twitter or not, that's just exciting and fun. And it makes you feel like you're exploring a new frontier. Yeah. And it's it's interesting you say it like that, because I, you know, I think right now, especially in our community, there will be a lot of people who are going to be jumping straight into discussions about, you know, how this can replace, if it can replace. And, and, I think that we've got to be slightly cautious, don't we? Because it's very early days. And look, this this platform reminds me a little bit, not in a different context, obviously, but it reminds me a little bit of how Zoom, you know, had to handle suddenly an onslaught of people jumping on it when, you know, the pandemic hit because everyone had to work from home. And, and you know, how does Microsoft Teams work? Oh, my God, how does that go? And all that stuff. So, you know, people are having to very quickly, I guess, make decisions. But we also have to say that Twitter's not dead. It's still very much alive and well. And it's we kind of talk about it as if it's gone or, you know, is dying away. And it, it isn't. And I, you know, I do wonder if it ever really will. I mean, I, I think it's very early days. And it, it, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel it's very early in the day to even know how to judge this. Yeah, I agree. And I, as I say, I'm keeping one foot in Twitter for several reasons. I mean, for one thing, I, I need to be there as long as people are there that I need to interact with on one level or another for all the different things I do. I'm probably going to be there. It, there could be a point at which it becomes a shell of its former self, at which it is given over to the kind of negativity that a lot of people who participate in Twitter don't like. I don't think it's necessary, though, to make pronouncement as a user. I, if you want to take your toys and go home because you're mad about what's happened to Twitter, it, that's a personal decision. I think personally, it's too early to do that if you're really dependent on or using Twitter for significant personal or professional reasons. Uh, just just doing it to take your toys and go home is not really going to help. I mean, you can, you might as well keep your account and not log on if you're going to do something like that. Because, I mean, I, I remember uh, years ago when some of the really bad things that Facebook was doing came out and a lot of people would like, write these really long screeds and then they'd leave Facebook. And then six months later, they'd come back. And even if they didn't come back, the thing that was impactful was not that they sort of made a big noise about it, but that they just stopped participating. And so if you, you know, want to sort of uh, uh, hold your cards close to your chest, I would suggest don't worry about your Twitter account. Just don't use it for a while if you don't feel comfortable using it. And as for myself, uh, I, I'm going to stick around and see what happens. And uh, I have a a place I have places to go. I have places like Mastodon. I have other more private social networks like Slack channels and the, the like where I meet a lot of people I've met. That That is, I believe that's also a privilege, by the way. I should say that private those private kind of networks exist for people who already have either a following or who have a network of friends and colleagues that they are in communication with. And I think Especially, as I say, when, when I started Twitter uh, as an accessibility person or somebody who wanted to work in accessibility trying to get to know people, it was super important to me. And I didn't have those back channels. And so I want to 
recognize and acknowledge that Twitter continues to be a place where people who want to grow their, to use a word I don't like, brand, or where they just want to grow their presence or, or meet people with similar interests, it continues to be a place of value because there's so many people there. And the, the, the prudent thing to do right now is to keep an eye on things like Mastodon and keep an eye on Twitter and see whether it continues to be a place that you want to be. And then you'll know when it's right on a personal level. Don't feel like you have to jump ship at the same moment everyone else does. So in late-breaking news yesterday, the New York Times reported that Twitter is going to delay the rollout of the verification check marks to subscribers of its new $8 a month service until after Tuesday's midterm elections. So you can still sign up at the moment, but you won't get your verification check mark until Tuesday. Uh, at least I think that's what we're reading into this. It's all developing very fast. Uh, is that a good decision, considering the fact that the election is only a day or two away? It's a good decision, but it's hilarious. Remember that we've been talking about this whole blue check mark thing for like two weeks, and how how time is it weird because you know t- before two weeks ago we didn't know that he wanted to charge twenty dollars for the blue check mark, and then it went down to eight, and now he's saying after the midterms. Yes, that's thanks to Stephen King, which I had a little fun with on my show, by the way. Uh, and, and I uh, and, and as we speak, it's the day before the U.S. midterms. So basically what he's saying is we're not going to do it until Wednesday or is he going to wait till runoff elections happen? I don't I don't know. Um, I, I think I, I, I think it's interesting. He said after the midterms, I were I him just from a defensive posture, I would have said to the end of the year, because if they have to make some sort of changes, that would give them like a month and a half to sort of sort that out. And also, honestly, do a little bit market research and see what the likelihood is that people will uh, bite on that. And and obviously, well, obviously, maybe not. But to me, the key to making it worth that eight dollars is the other functions of Twitter blue, because certainly people want to be verified. But I don't imagine that especially individuals, uh, even journalists are going to pony up $8, $8 a month is the cost of a streaming subscription. It's it's not an insignificant amount of money, (laughs) just for a checkmark. I want to bring up the uh, Wall Street Journal reporting as well over the weekend that uh, Facebook are going to make an announcement. I say Facebook meta, I should give them their proper name. They're going to be making an announcement on Wednesday regarding layoffs as well. Uh, Now, of course, I think, how can I say this delicately? I have a feeling that the decisions being made at Meta might be a little bit more considered. (laughs) Is that a better way of putting it Uh, than just random, let's just fire people left, right and centre in the middle of meetings? This this actually is a bit more considered. But they have 87,000 employees. They have a lot of staff. Um, and that, that it does seem that, you know, clearly the industry itself is being hit, uh, you know, across the board, right? I mean, advertising revenues are following, falling, subscription numbers are probably going down. There's all kinds of things going on, right, that are impacting companies like this. So I'm, is it fair to even put these two in the same discussion? I would imagine, I mean, Twitter was having trouble before Elon Musk bought it. But the reason he needs to cut costs has very little to do with what's going on at the company. It has to do with how leveraged he was to buy that company. Facebook's problem is different and is more like what Twitter was experiencing before Musk came along in that, as you say, advertising revenue is going down, the overall inflation on at least especially the US economy, probably elsewhere around the world, is affecting companies' ability to to move and to to continue to, to grow. And Facebook is, or Meta, is both a social networking company and a company that makes stuff. They've got headsets. They've got all sorts of, you know, mm. uh, virtual world things that they want to be into. And so I don't, it'll be interesting to see where those cuts come and whether it's sort of a slice across the horizontal of the company or whether they're actually going to cut into particular functions and say, okay, we're not going to do this thing anymore that we were going to do. And I don't know if, if 87,000 employees, that's so many. I mean, that's yeah. astonishing. Twitter has 7,000. Obviously, as I just said, Facebook does a lot of things. They own both Instagram and Facebook. They have the Oculus unit. They have lots of other units. But 87,000 employees is really an astonishing number of people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. Okay. One more question on this for you. Um, what would Elon Musk have to do for you to leave Twitter behind? <laughs> what would he have to do? Uh, 
I mean, to be honest, I have to see it in my in my feed. Twitter has to not be useful to me anymore. Uh, I have to my, my feed has to become such a terrible place that there's nothing in it of value to me, either as a consumer and or as a producer, because both are very important to me as a consumer of content from Twitter as a journalist. I'm always uh, looking out for news stories. I'm interacting with people. I'm finding guests based on what they're saying on Twitter and who's saying it on Twitter. As a producer of things, I'm promoting stuff on Twitter. And so I, I promote the things I do in a variety of ways, including podcasts and various social platforms. And Twitter has always been the most productive for me and always the most, also the most productive for me in terms of interacting with people and networking. And once that becomes, it's not a flip, it's not a switch I can flip, to be honest. It's not like, okay, tomorrow I'm gone, but there will come a point at which I'll be saying to myself, this is not benefiting me. I'm, I'm getting no value from it as a user and as a producer. And that's where I'd have to go. I mean, are, are there, are there terrible things he could do to make, make it just uncivil and unpleasant that might make me say, I'm going to just put my down now my phone and not go there. Of course. And you know, those involve, you know, hate speech and racism and pornography and things I don't like, but I suspect that what will take me off Twitter has more to do with its uh, lack of lack of value for me. Now, uh, speaking of productivity, I am holding you back from productivity at the moment of your iOS access from Allbook, which is a super book, and uh, it's coming soon, I believe. That's right, and I admire the segue. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on uh, the iOS 16 version of iOS Access for All, my comprehensive guide to accessibility for the iOS platform. And uh, I, I'm not one of those people who uh, gets the book out on the first day iOS is available, but I think it's better for it. And so later this month, the iOS 16 version will be available. And as it happens, if you buy a copy of the iOS 15 version from my website right now, you'll get the iOS 16 version which is a whole brand new book, absolutely free when it comes out. So there's no risk. Or you can just wait around for the iOS 16 version. And uh, I'll sell you one of those pretty soon, too. Brilliant. Shelley, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time and your insight here. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Stick around on Double Tap. Coming up, I'm going to be hearing from Teresa and Poppy, two disabled women, to hear their views on the changes at Twitter. Send us your feedback to feedback at doubletaponair.com. Leave us a voicemail at 1-877-803-4567. You're listening to Double Tap. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Yeah, hey guys, we're talking today all about Twitter and uh, the impact that the accessibility team being fired from Twitter is going to have on the service going forward and whether or not disabled people will want to be involved we're hearing today from two members of twitter who are very keen to uh, check out other platforms but also stay with twitter let's find out why first up is uh, teresa mabe who joins us uh, all the way from baltimore and uh, she is here now to uh, tell us uh, her thoughts uh, teresa thank you so much for coming on to double tap uh, first up your reaction when you learned the news that as I say, the entire accessibility team at Twitter were let go. So when they when it first became clear that the layoffs would be, you know, imminently coming to Twitter, I was fully expecting there to be cuts to that team, but I was completely taken aback by reading that it was the entire accessibility experience team. I feel like we've definitely seen indications that efficiency and getting things out quickly is going to take priority over creating products and features that are done well. And I think we all know that accessibility, you have to do a lot of testing and a lot of time goes into making sure that those products and features serve the entire audience. So I was expecting it to be a lower priority on their list of you know things that they were going to be focusing on in the future. But I definitely was not expecting them to cut everybody whose focus was accessibility. Look, many people use social media for many different reasons, but it is clear that the disability community gets a lot out of social media in lots of different ways. What does Twitter mean to you? 
So I uh, started losing my vision about eight years ago. And during that time, I learned really quickly that digital spaces just were not designed with my needs in mind. It was, and it was something I just had not considered as somebody who, you know, spent my life fully sighted for the most part until suddenly I wasn't. So for me, I always appreciated that Twitter, they were a little slow to start off with to embracing accessibility. But as soon as they realized how crucial that was, they made it their mission and they made sure to take feedback for things that they were doing. And I'll say that I think they just made the experience so much better for those of us who, especially during COVID, were trying to find a community or finding people to stay connected with. So it it, I spent so much more time on there and I met so many people on there that it would have been a very isolating experience without it. What was your experience of connecting with other disabled people outside of Twitter? Was there any kind of potential for that for you or did you feel it was all online? For me, it's mostly been online. I think some of that is because particularly for people where maybe their disability isn't as apparent I think there's still a lot of stigma behind it. So people try to pass as though they are not disabled. I think that people are starting to embrace it more now. But especially for me, when I would go to my eye appointments or go to my doctor's appointments, it would be going there. And, you know, if you added up the age of me and my husband, that would still be less than the average age of all the other patients there. So I might have been finding people with similar conditions to mine, but not those who would understand my specific needs or kind of how I was dealing with it. So I've definitely struggled finding people my own age or having ways of getting to them in person. Uh, so just having the internet and having those digital communities has meant everything the last few years. Yeah, I hear the phrase often, finding your tribe. That's yes. the Yeah, that's, that's the kind of way of thinking of it, isn't it? That you found a group of people who you can relate to, who you can communicate with, and that's really important. But I think also beyond that, it's good that we have that conversation in the public square, in the town square, as Elon Musk likes to call it. Uh, you know, that's not a bad thing in some cases, right? Because then those conversations are open, they're public, they're for all to see and engage in, uh, which can work in our favour and can not as well. But ultimately, I think, you know, having that space is good. It's good for all of us, right? Yes, absolutely. It's and it, I find it very interesting, like I said, talking about it being a town square, um, but then thinking about, you know, that town square is made up of disabled voices. And it's I this is where I struggle so much with not, you know, I have my own personal feelings about taking away the accessibility experience team because of the impact it's brought to my life. But it's frustrating that that seems like there's a clear culture shift that we want it to be a town square and have people participate in these conversations, but maybe not the disabled people as much. We're not going to make sure that they have the information to participate in those conversations. And I agree with you. I've seen other people talk about leaving to different social media platforms, and I've had my own internal debate about it, partially because if you think of the people who are using Twitter, the people who are signing up for these platforms, that's essentially, you know, that audience, that's the content, that's the currency right there. And that's what brings those places value to advertisers or to people on the outside. So I am having my own internal debate about adding to that value when I know that my my concerns or what I need from it is not going to be a priority. But at the same time, I've talked to a few friends about just their feelings on it. And I think we're all in a place where there does not, like you said, there does not really seem to be another type of social networking that would make it as easy for us to find each other and support each other in the way that Twitter has because of the way it's laid out. And I also think with the with the accessibility experience team being gone, they did such a great job of educating people about accessibility. And from some of the comments I've seen in replies to tweets I've made since this has happened, there's still a lot of people who do not understand accessibility. And so even though it should not necessarily be our responsibility to do that education, I think that 
Twitter will be a much worse place if there's not those of us who are advocating for it or talking about it and being very vocal about it. So I feel like there is a small level of responsibility we have to each other to making sure the people who are still not understanding what accessibility is, just helping them understand why it's important, why it's beneficial, and that it's not something that you can just put out onto the website and it's like, oh, they they did accessibility. It's done now. They can be fired. Like there's right. there's been so many, so many comments that I just I I thought we had made more progress and I, I think that generally we have, but there's still a lot of people who do not understand the purpose of accessibility. Is there anything positive that you can pull out of Elon Musk buying Twitter? I mean, is there anything there at all you can think of that you would say, yeah, you know what, okay, you know, I'm not overly happy about the whole accessibility team being fired. Maybe they might all be rehired again soon. Who knows? And if they are, great. And if that is the case, then can you draw anything positive? There's an extended pause, mostly because I am trying to think about if there is anything good. It's a fair question, though, right? Because I think it's a know, fair you know, question. A lot of people are down on it, and and I can kind of get it. But you know what he's talking about with some things, like you know, I mean, okay, you've got to pay eight dollars. This, this eight dollars he keeps going on about. Um, but this eight dollars, you get the the audio long form, you get the longer tweets. You know, there are things that I'm kind of like, okay, I, I can get down with that. I quite like that. I like the idea of my podcast being available there. Um, you know, so there are things in there. There's there's little green shoots I can see that I think, okay, I could get behind that. But am I just missing the bigger point? Well, my concern, especially with there not being an accessibility team, is there might be new developments or new features put in that are beneficial to a lot of people. But I think a lot of us know that accessibility is, it is a specialization. We all would love to think that programmers or developers have it as part of their skill set, And it's something they consider from the start of a project all the way through to the end, but that's just not the reality. And the accessibility experience team are there to make sure that that's part of what they're working on before something gets rolled out. My big fear is that now when new things get introduced, they're going to be rushed out because it's something that he wants and something he brings it up. And then it's just supposed to be out there like he did with the new Twitter blue. And it's going to be like every other social media platform where the new feature gets put out there and then the accessibility comes years later, potentially. Teresa, really interesting to get your thoughts on this. Thank you so much for joining us on Double Tap today. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. Now, lots of you have been commenting on Twitter. I've been tweeting about this all weekend. And uh, what better place to get reaction than Twitter itself, right? Billy B says, the only reason I joined Twitter was because it was the most accessible platform. Before joining, I didn't really care about social media, but I've learned so much and still get so much from it. Uh, and until I get charged, I will be sticking with it. Um and, you know, I've got to say, I'm with you on that. You know, I'm, I'm sticking with it as well. Uh, Gordon Anthony says, yes, I'll still use Twitter. However, I'm also exploring Mastodon using the MetaText app, which is fully accessible. That doesn't mean I'll abandon Twitter, but I see no reason not to use more than one social media platform. After all, many of us use Facebook as well. Absolutely. Um, Ashley says, amen, Steve. I'll be staying as well. For what I see is true, we need to be the accessibility team now. Advocacy is the best policy. Brandon says, I'm not jumping, just playing around with Mastodon. It certainly is a mixed bag for sure. And Rebecca has got in touch with us on email over the weekend to say, OK, I'm not trying to have a knee-jerk reaction here. But I'm mad. Look which departments were cut. Why would anyone cut accessibility and human rights? Facebook is starting to seem like a much better option. Yet, am I overreacting? Yes, I probably am overreacting. But just think about how many people in the blind and visually impaired community may be impacted by these decisions, not to mention activists who are out there trying to educate people. Third-party apps made Twitter much easier to use, but I am re-evaluating my social media habits and if it is worth staying on Twitter. Please remember that some people with disabilities may use Twitter on the job, so this isn't just a matter for consumers. And for some groups, Twitter might be the only point of contact during a humanitarian crisis. Well, picking up on some of that and uh, to get more opinion on this, we're joined by 
Poppy. Now, Poppy is uh, in England and joins us now. Um, Poppy, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Your immediate reaction to the news of the accessibility team at Twitter being let go? Pure grief, I have to admit. It it, it was almost... um it feels like a really messy breakup almost. I mean, so much of not just my life and my career and my foundations in so many areas of life, but also my community and my friends have shared those similar experiences. And I think especially watching like friends from the accessibility team get dropped overnight. <laughs> That's terrifying. Um, so it almost felt just like, like a grieving um, and horrendous, frankly. <laughs> um I feel that there are no words for it, really. Mm. It's tough, isn't it? Because obviously accessibility is something we have been pushing for as a disabled community for so long uh, in every walk of life, in every application, in every situation. We we push for more accessibility. And I think that I've certainly said for a long time in my shows that I often worry about accessibility just being literally the rug being pulled out from below the team and and that's it it's gone i wasn't expecting not just the rug but the whole team to go with it as well um and that actually is quite worrying isn't it that that can happen in 2022 it's terrifying that there's a standard being set too um that we're making this progress and it's taken years and years i mean i was on twitter over a decade ago before there was even accessibility mind and the stark contrast between then and now is just incredible like leaps and bounds have been made and for that just to be like with a click overnight taken away from us is just I can't get my head around it and I also don't know how it's legal to be quite frankly um, <laughs> um but also scary and there are because- questions about that right there are questions about the legalities mm. of this in certain countries and certain places um, in America for sure under the Americans with Disabilities Act in the UK I'm sure that legislation would prevent this kind of thing from happening we'd like to think hopefully <laughs> i think um, in terms of employment there are definitely probably some oversteps that be made but it also makes me think about um social media is such a public domain a public space it's almost like the modern day town hall uh, is that should that now be included as a public space like how the ada covers public spaces government funded spaces um similar to the equality act in the uk how should we now approach social media when clearly it has such an impact on our day-to-day lives and community. Um, I don't think it should be like this, frankly. <laughs> I think it's really shown a massive like gap in an, an oversight, really, in t- how we as a society have approached social media. Um, massive oversight, frankly. But in saying all of that, you want to stay on Twitter. You want to stay there and continue to post and continue to, I don't want to say support the platform, but support the people who are on the platform with you, who you, you know, friends, people you've come to know, this community that you've built up around you? I think um, my day-to-day life, just getting through the day is almost an act of resistance for me, being chronically ill, living in the times we are. Um, disabled people don't want to be seen, they don't want to be heard, and just existing is enough. And I think that also rings true for social media and sticking for, to our guns. I hate that saying, but it's true. Um, what we've created and what we've built it shouldn't go the way of the night. We should stand our ground. And I also think there's a case to be made for those who are unable to switch to other social medias. We can't leave them behind. Um, I think it comes on selfish roots. I understand wanting to switch because it's overwhelming and you don't know what the future is like and it's better just to, you know, drop all your eggs and go, <laughs> if that's even a saying. Um, but it makes you think, should we be leaving behind those who have no other option for social media, who will be... Um, isolated further by people jumping ship from Twitter. And for me, it's a case of just sticking out. I also, I've seen Twitter go through lots of different changes and it's always, and this is definitely the scariest, I will admit, even it has me quaking in my boots. Um, (laughs) But I think it is a case of sticking out and it's an act of resistance to do that because how can we let go of something that we've built and curated and with so much care and empathy and thought? Um, Yeah, it's just heartbreaking, really. I want to dig into that a bit because I'm going to assume that you're younger than me. I'm not going to ask what age you are because that's not gallant. But what I will, what I, will I am going to make an assumption that you're younger than me. And I grew up in a, in a world without any social media, without any of this at all. And I am kind of used to that world. I could go back to that world. I could come off Twitter tomorrow. I, I wouldn't miss much. But I feel that your generation is different. I feel that you 
it, it, this is more to you than just an app on a device. This is, this is. I mean, for me, Twitter was about getting access to news in an easy way. You know, keeping up with friends, I suppose, was part of it. But really, it was about receiving information, not really about having a conversation. But that has changed, and people who are using the app now feel that way. You certainly feel that way, right? Definitely. I always see Twitter as an infrastructure and a tool. Um, it's beyond just, you know, a fun place to post silly memes. Um, it truly is a fabric in our society. I saw a tweet, and I will not take credit for this thought piece, but someone was basically explaining that if we no longer have access to Twitter, even those who aren't currently on Twitter will also lose information because I don't know if you have people around you like this I am that person who drips feed information that they find out from Twitter to their Mm. friends and family especially (laughs) with COVID yeah like a lot of things like COVID or like um, natural disasters I'm finding them out instantly and I don't know where else I would find that out in such a concise and like easy way it's it's such an accessible way to get current news in the moment um for also safety as well. Like I've used it to make sure that when I'm in London, for example, I've been in London during some terror attacks and whatever, just making sure I'm in the right places. Um, so it's a tool and it's infrastructure. And I don't think those who are off Twitter may see it as, oh, you know, you can just come off at any time. It affects all of us in a weird, weird way um, that even my loved ones, like my friends and family who aren't on Twitter are going to feel the effects of it because <laughs> sounds so self-centered but uh me me and like people like me aren't there to sort of drip feed that information and just check in and be like oh is this place safe let me just check yeah. um i feel like there's you could there's a case to be made for facebook and everything but i think facebook can be a bit slower in terms of instant um instant media and news so that's the yeah. point isn't it that actually the the bigger point here is where else do we go what else is available out there that is available and is similar. Now, a lot of people seem to be talking about Mastodon as a place to go, but that's that's a different kind of platform. Uh, it is decentralized, so it doesn't have that ownership, but there are some questions about who does own what on Mastodon, because it is all based on individual servers as opposed to one entire network. What's, what's your take on on this sudden rush to Mastodon? So with Mastodon, I kind of see it as almost like a glorified Discord um, server with like added Twitter features in. I don't know how sustainable it's going to be in particular for advocacy. Um, I feel like there's almost more of a push to stay in your own sort of bubbles in that. And it, I feel like it might be really hard to get information out. Um, I, I see the case for it being really great for some people in the disabled community who may want to build community and sort of stay in, in those support systems. Completely understand that. But I think also... <laughs> It is could be slightly dangerous as these um, servers are controlled by one person. Um, they can decide overnight if they want to include you in that server or not. You have to stay in their good graces. And I think that's quite a scary thing to, like, again, go through basically what happened with Twitter where you, you lose everything overnight. Um, I don't think it's exactly what we're looking for for the next thing just yet. And I think people are just struggling to find something and they're just jumping on whatever everyone else is saying. Um because I've been on Mastodon and I just don't think it fits what we're looking for, frankly. And also accessibility wise, I don't see any anything in a particular realm like, ah, yes, that's like on par with Twitter. Or I can see my blind and visually impaired folks like using this or, oh, yes, captions on um, video content on there. I just think there's so much improvement to be made. Almost will be like going back a step in terms of social media and isolating again more disabled people from jumping to another ship. Um, I don't know what your take is on it. <laughs> well, I, I'll be honest. I, I signed up and I was a little mm, bit confused um, because I realised I had to pick a server, and that was when I learned about the whole server distribution. Essentially, that there's all these different places you can go and. I don't really know how that works. I realize someone described it as like being in a school. You can be in a classroom, so you pick a classroom to be in, but you can also then communicate with all the other school pupils from that one place, I suppose. That's maybe one way to look at it. But um, I think it's it's, it's a time will tell. Uh, And in terms of accessibility, I think there are some applications that do make it easier for blind people to use. So that's good news. But you know, accessibility isn't just about that, is it? It's about accessibility to other people. And that's what Twitter gives to you. Mm, I think one point I wanted to make about Mastodon is so complicated. Um, I am neurodivergent and I struggle also have chronic um, cog- cognitive like difficulties and 
um, chronic fatigue. So the idea of learning a new platform and it's one that is so complicated. Like I've seen these threads on Twitter that are like 10 tweets long at least about how to use Mastodon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. Like, do I have to learn this to like keep up with all my friends now? Yeah. Um, it's very totally overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if, if I'm not getting it, how are like my parents or people who aren't exactly on social media going to get it? Because <laughs> I feel like my social media knowledge is pretty, pretty decent. And if I'm not getting it, then I think that is also a co- like a cause for concern with accessibility as well. Um, off topic, but also. <laughs> well, no, no, but it's relevant, right? And, and, and the yeah. question is, what would Elon Musk have to do for Poppy to say I'm out? Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. Um, that's actually a really, really good question. I think potentially limiting my community and in some way harming them further. We have already been harmed, obviously. But I think perhaps I've heard that they're going to potentially um, deactivate accounts that haven't been used in like 30 days or a year. I don't know the exact criteria. But if it became more like that, I also think if harassment gets worse, obviously we've seen the news over the last week about the amount of awful slurs being used. Mm. Um, I think if that became the normal and just like the expected um, lifestyle on Twitter, that would have, if that's going to be the future, then I don't think I want to be part of it, frankly. Um, it's just ethics <laughs> and morals. Like, I just can't. Um, frankly, we're not there yet, but potentially, yeah, it could get, it could get to that point. But I'm very um, stubborn, <laughs> so, <laughs> as you can probably tell. <laughs> well, you, can't, you kind of have to be when you're disabled, don't you? That's kind mm-hmm. of part of the deal. You have to have a bit of stubbornness to you to be able to fight through everything we have to fight through, right? Um, Comes a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to just diverge off this a little bit onto you, because uh, I hear that you, I, I hear, I read on Twitter, oddly enough, uh, that you are uh, looking to start a new podcast. Tell us about that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. That's so kind. Um, I was extremely lucky enough to uh, collaborate with Acast on their Acast Amplifier competition they had where they picked three amazing winners. I say, well, I'm one of those winners, but the other two are also incredible um, to help us pull together a podcast on one of our, our passions were. And mine is about my disabled identity. And my podcast is called Call Me Disabled. I feel I say that a lot online, like, please call me disabled. Mm-hmm. And it's ever so subtly asking people to drop the euphemisms and just just say the word. It's fine. I think it's brilliant. I can't wait to hear it. Call me disabled is, is coming to platforms on podcasts everywhere soon. Hey, Twitter's doing podcasts soon. You could join oh <laughs> it on <God>. there. <laughs> Hopefully not with all the people they're fired. But <laughs> well, yeah, let's see. Poppy, thank you so much for coming on to Double Tap. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all my guests for joining me, from uh, Shelley Brisbane to Theresa Maybad, also to Poppy Greenfield. Thank you all for joining me on the show today. Keep your feedback coming. And on tomorrow's show, we're going to learn even more about Mastodon. We'll be finding out how uh, to set up a server and how to get involved and what apps are accessible to blind people on that platform. That coming up with Thomas Doiz joining us on the show tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping on Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.